Well, today we are finishing up the series White Flag, and I just want to comment on last week because last week was just so amazing because to see so many people of you, so, see so many of you stand at the end of the message to say, I don't want to run from God anymore, and your willingness uh, to take a stand and to go public, it was moving, it was inspiring to me, especially to see so many men who are willing to stand and humble themselves in front of their spouses, in front of their families. And this week, I prayed for all of you who would respond, had responded that God would do something tangible in your lives going forward, since you were so vulnerable to do that last week. And if you missed the last two weeks, you really need to get on newlifewichita.com. You can catch up. But the last two weeks, we've been tracking with Jonah because his story intersects with ours in that Jonah was a man who ran from God. And all of us, to one degree or another, have run or we are running from God, either overtly, meaning maybe you grew up in church and you believed all the right stuff, but the day came that you decided you just weren't going to do that anymore. And maybe you abandoned your faith, you just walked away from church, or maybe you've run from God in the area of your conscience, like you know right from wrong, and you're not sure if it's a God thing or not, but basically you've said no even to your own conscience. And in a sense, we'd say that you're running from God because God has put in the heart of every man and every woman a sense of right and wrong. So all of us at some level know what it means to resist God. So up until this point in the story, We've been tracking with the story of Jonah because God said to Jonah, I want you to go to the ancient city Nineveh, which is a modern day Iraq, and I want you to tell them to go and repent. Tell them, I want you to repent of your violence and your sin and to make some big changes. And Jonah, his response was, I believe you are God. I believe in you, God. I believe the Ten Commandments and the law and all that stuff, but no, not going to do it. And he headed in the totally opposite direction of where God wanted him to go. And up to this point, we've drawn two big lessons so far from Jonah. And the first is that you can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. And and many of us have discovered that the hard way in our own lives. And the second thing is this, that God is very generous in his grace, but he's also thorough in his discipline, that you can't get outside the boundaries of his grace But because he loves us, God disciplines those that he loves, and that is God's love. But as we also said last week, that God doesn't discipline us to pay us back, but to bring us back. And so many of you last week, again, you responded and stood to say, God, I'm I'm done running. I'm done running from you. I don't want to run from you anymore. I'm done. I'm back. I'm with you. This tension, this struggle, maybe even the chaos that I've created or begun to create in my life, and maybe even in the lives of the people that I love, like enough is enough. I've learned my lesson. I'm waving the white flag and I'm surrendering to you. Now, if the story of Jonah ended there, ended where we ended last week, like it would be a great ending. Like if the storyline was that, you know, Jonah rebels, he runs from God, he comes back, God gives him a second chance, end of the story. But that's only half the story. In fact, Jonah, Jonah and the fish is the famous part, but it's not even the point of the story. And so today we're going to look at chapters 3 and 4 in the book of Jonah. If you want to follow along, if you've got a Bible app, uh, we discover what the narrative is really about and what the point really is. And the point of the story is not directed at people who are in active rebellion against God morally or in their lifestyle. I mean, that's part of it. But the primary point, the primary point is actually geared to those of us who would consider ourselves like God people, like godly people, God followers, 
people who uh, are seeking to be good people. In fact, let me say this. If you are here today or you're listening online and you think, you think, you know what, if people, if church people really knew me, they wouldn't like me. Uh, or you maybe think the church is full of judgmental people. Uh, the good news is you picked a perfect Sunday to attend or to listen because I'm about to affirm all of your suspicions. Because the point of the book of Jonah is simply this, that whereas many of us who are Christians, or maybe we consider ourselves good people, meaning, you know, we're, we're just doing our best to, like, be good people or do good in God's eyes. I mean, you fall to temptation once in a while, but you ask God for forgiveness, and you just keep on keeping on, you know, like, I'm faithful to my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my spouse. I pay my taxes. I go to church. I tell the truth most of the time, and you try to be a good citizen. Maybe you even read your Bible. Like, like you're just, you're like a good person. Even though many of us have surrendered to God's moral will or his personal will. There are many of us good Christian people who have never surrendered to God's global purposes. We've never surrendered to God's purposes outside of us. We've never surrendered to God's will for the rest of the world. And that was Jonah's problem. And that's where we have to take a difficult look in the mirror as individuals and as a church. Because I think this is the reason that the church has become so marginalized in culture, and it gives the rest of culture the ammunition and the credibility to go, why should we take you seriously? Why should we take the, the church, take Christians seriously? Yeah, you keep the rules, you keep your rules most of the time, and you're good people for the most part, but we in no way sense, we in no way sense that you really care about us or that you care about the rest of the world. In, in fact, our perception is it's not just that you think we're going to hell, it's that you seem happy about it. And that's ugly. And that's the impression. And it's that thing that we don't want to look at, but it's what Jonah and the rest of the story of Jonah forces us to look at. And if ever there was a time that we needed as a community to learn from Jonah and to get it right, it's now. So let me just read you the story again. You can follow along. If you have your Bible or Bible app, we're going to be in essentially pick up where the story should end. Jonah 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And not shockingly, based on what he experienced before, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, we need to understand, this is about 550 miles by land, which means it would be like walking from this building to Denver and then walking, continuing on to Boulder. Or it would be like walking from this building to Austin, Texas. So he's on his, the road by himself for weeks and weeks. He gets to this pagan city that does not recognize his God, the law of Moses, or any of his culture. In fact, in the past, the Ninevites have been, been enemies of Israel. And he walks a day's journey into this huge city, and here is his robust message. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. Like, no commentary. It's like... You need to know, I spend anywhere from 8 to like 18 hours on like a 30 to 35 minute message. My hope in the future is to make them even shorter, which is good news for you. Uh, but that takes even more work. But I'm thinking, I just need to follow Jonah's example and just walk up here, turn on the mic, go, repent of your sin, your wickedness, your violence, in 40 days, you're toast. Let's pray and beat the Baptist to the restaurant. You know, just like, just short, 
and sweet. It would be like if you were downtown, you know, and coming out of a restaurant, and there's some strange guy walking around yelling, repent and repent, and he's calling you to believe in a God you've never heard of, and yet we're told that the Ninevites believed God. Now, if we're honest, it, it sounds kind of crazy. It sounds untrue. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth, which in this culture was a sign of mourning for their sin. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And then he calls for a nationwide fast. Now, again, let's be honest. This seems both incredible and strange, like super strange. Why would they take him seriously? It seems unrealistic. Now, maybe this was purely a miracle. We do know from historical material that's not in the Bible that several things were happening in the region during this time. For example, there were three tribes that had gathered together and joined forces, and they were about 100 miles outside of Nineveh about this time. So the king of Nineveh knew that their borders were being threatened and that they're really, they really could be under attack. And then you've got like this messenger of God going around. He's yelling, hey, what you're dreading is going to happen if you don't repent. So maybe that was part of it. We also know during this time in history, there were two major plagues over a period of five years that swept through the land. Also during this time frame, there was a total eclipse of the sun. So maybe Maybe all these things together, plus the fact that Jonah probably looked like a freak. I mean, come on, he had been in a fish, like for days, and here's like the walking dead wandering the streets, you know, repent, repent. And I think he was fearless with this violent people. I mean, after you've been inside, been inside of a fish and survived, like what do you have to fear? Like nothing, right? But my point is that maybe all of this could be, or a mix of it could be part of the reasons that the reason the Ninevites took him seriously, or again, maybe it was just simply a miracle. But, but whatever the case, the king proclaims a fast, and he says to the rest of the nation, let everyone call urgently, not on the gods, but on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger and so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Now, again, if the story ended there, you go, man, that, what a great story. I mean, God sent Jonah. Jonah said no. God gave Jonah a second chance. Jonah went to the people. The people repented. And Jonah and the Ninevites lived happily ever after. But that's not how the story ends. And we discovered the real reason that Jonah didn't want to go to the city of Nineveh in the first place. The reason Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh was not because he was afraid of what the Ninevites would do to him. He was afraid of what God would do for the Ninevites. He was afraid that God would do something positive for his enemies. And he hated these people. And if you had been Jonah, you would have hated these people too. See, these people were ruthless. They were violent. They were wicked. I mean, think ISIS nation. The violence that they had perpetrated against uh, his people, the hands of the Ninevites, I mean, they were the enemies of his God. And we discovered that Jonah knew God better than we think that he did. He knew God so well that he predicted God's response to the repentance of the people of Nineveh. So this is where the story takes a twist. 
And this is where the mirror comes up to each of us, like good Christian people. You know, I got my Bible, I got my Bible app, you know, my Bible app's even on my, on my homepage. You know, I came to church, I brought my family, I've got a fish symbol in the back of my car. Not me, I drive too fast. Uh, I've got the right political affiliation. I, you know, I even, like, know the words of some of the songs. And, you know, I'm generally, like, good people. But this is where the mirror comes up and we begin to see a side of us that might be a little bit uncomfortable. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. In other words, Jonah's response was, God, you're, I know you're God and everything, you're wrong. Like you have made a mistake here. You, you've done wrong. You are wrong. These people have sinned and they deserve to pay for it. And you're not destroying them as you should. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? I mean, this is why I ran. I ran because I knew you were going to do this. I knew if I came and warned these people and they repented, that like seriously repented, I know you. I knew you were just going to forgive them. Now, this sounds like something you would find in the New Testament, not the Old Testament. And if you're a person that really struggles with the idea that the God of the Old Testament, like he just seems so wrathful and vengeful and bloodthirsty, like this bloodthirsty God. And in the New Testament, he's like this kind, grandfatherly, like good God. And how do they work together? This next verse brings it all together. Here's what Jonah knew and understood about your God and mine. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. It's like, God, I, I knew, even though the Ninevites are wicked and violent and an enemy of Israel, if I gave them the opportunity and they repented, you would forgive them. And I'm so angry with you for not punishing them, punishing them the way I think they deserve. If you ever wonder about God's love for you, if you ever wonder if you can get outside of God's grace, and his, compassionate, his compassion towards you, this verse settles that. But instead of rejoicing in this truth about God, Jonah is so angry, so angry, he prays like, I'm just thinking drama queen. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live with this. It's just like, wow, Jonah. But see, Jonah's problem was this. Jonah had surrendered to the law of God, but Jonah had never surrendered to the purposes of God. He was surrendered to the will of God for his life and the moral will, uh, the right and wrong, the Ten Commandments, but he had never waved the white flag and made himself fully available to God for what God wanted to, to accomplish in the world and throughout the world. And consequently, like far too many Christians and far too many churches, he became very judgmental. And I've known a lot of judgmental people in my life. Let me tell you how you become judgmental. You become judgmental by being a very good person who never surrenders to what God wants to do in the lives of people who aren't as good as you according to your standard. You become a very good person who ultimately forgets what you ultimately deserve. You're a person who forgets that God's grace is showered on you every single day and that you need His grace and love just as much today 
as you did yesterday and the years leading up to today and the years to come just as much as anyone else, no matter what they look like, what they talk like, what they sound like. You forget that you, and you become so good that you're so much better than the people, other people, and as a result, you forget to care for them, which is why our current culture is correct in many cases. When they look at the local church and the church in general and say, who needs the church? Like, it's nothing but judgmental. Like, all they care about is making me feel bad about myself. Who needs the church? Who needs Christians? Who needs Christianity? Why would I listen to them when all they care about is judging me? And see, these are people, these are people who have been in contact with and experienced Christians and churches who were very good at being good, but forgot why God sent His Son into the world to begin with. And they've forgotten the character of God. They forgot or they never knew what Jonah knew well. God, you're gracious, you're compassionate, you're slow to anger and abounding in love. And when people repent, you respond to that repentance. When people cry out in despair, you respond to that, you answer them, and you will do this for anyone who will turn in your direction. See, the danger of being or becoming a a good church person, a moral person, of keeping God's law, like even though that's a good thing to do, the danger for all of us, all of us, is that we become so self-absorbed that our religion becomes all about us, and we forget God's purposes. See, you can be 100% surrendered for God's will, to, to God's will in your life, but if you're never uh, surrendered to God's purposes in the world, you simply set yourself up to ignore those on the outside of faith at best and become judgmental at worst. And when you do that, you become part of the problem, not the solution. And you make my job harder. And like Jonah, you become an obstacle to the grace and the love of God in the world. So here's my question as we finish the story. You may have surrendered and waved the white flag when it comes to what you believe and towards your personal morality, but have you ever surrendered to God's purposes in the world? Have you ever said to your Heavenly Father, just as I'm available to be obedient and good, I'm available also to be an extension of you into the culture around me, to the people that I work with, to the people I'm in class with, to the people in my social group and in my neighborhood, at work with those that I work with and for in my family, wherever you send me or place me in the world, I'm available to be an extension of your grace, your generosity, your compassion, your abounding love to anyone my life intersects with. Have you ever surrendered to that level? See, I believe, I believe if the church in general and if local churches had stayed surrendered to that, the church in America would not be marginalized. It would be front and center because as you and I have all experienced in our personal life, compassion and love is almost irresistible. I mean, you think about the people that you feel the most connection to, that you most want to listen to, that you feel that just just something it's because they've demonstrated to you compassion and love, and the grace of God is almost irresistible. The compassion and the abounding love as manifested through other people, through you, 
is extraordinarily attractive. In fact, the reason many of you would say, I'm a Jesus follower, I'm a Christ follower, it isn't because someone sat down and just explained something to you theologically, or they sat down to you and just to tell you how all the ways God was disgusted with you, but He's given you a chance. It's because you were won over by love and grace, the forgiveness of another person, because there was just something about them and their generous spirit. It just, it overflowed out of them and it just attracted you. Why? Because that's what God's like. But the minute that we become simply content with just being good and being obedient and being good church people and righteous, like Jonah, we're just content with believing all the right information about God, but forget the purposes of God in the world, we become nothing but an obstacle. We ignore at best and become judgmental at worst. We become barriers between people who consider themselves and probably already know they're on the outside with God. A God who wants everyone on the inside to experience His love and grace and compassion so that they might take a step towards Him. So God asked Jonah a question. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Like seriously, Jonah. Wasn't it like just a few weeks ago that you needed my kindness? Like, wasn't it just a few weeks ago you were the one on the outs with me and needed my grace and my compassion and my abounding love for me to be patient and slow to anger? Is it right for you, above all people, to, to, to be angry that I've extended my grace to undeserving people just like you? And you know what Jonah's answer is? Nothing. He doesn't answer the question. Instead, he goes up on top of this hill overlooking Nineveh, and he's sitting there, and he's waiting, he's watching to see what God is going to do to the city. And while he's sitting there, again, this is modern-day Iraq. I've been out in the Gulf, and even surrounded by water. It'll hit like 120 degrees all of a sudden. It's very, very hot. We're told that God sent a gourd to grow. It's a, it's a plant with big leafy leaves and it grew and he moved underneath a plant. He found some shade. He was so happy. He loved this plant. We're told he's so happy about it. But then the next day, God sends a worm that chews through the base of it, the root. So the plant wilted and died and now he's super angry again. And again, in some ways it's kind of comical. It's like, wow. And the author tells us that God sent this hot, scorching wind, so this easterly wind picks up and the temperature goes way, way up, and now he's just absolutely miserable. And then God speaks to him. And here is where the mirror comes up front and center for all of us good church people where we have to take a hard look and ask some tough questions. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry I wish I were dead like he's 15. You know, my primary concern is I don't have any shade. But the Lord said, you've been concerned, and this can also be translated compassion or pity about this gourd. The, you did not tend it. You did not make it grow. I did. It sprang up overnight. It died overnight. You're so concerned about the gourd and the shade that it provided. Should I not have concern or compassion or pity for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from the left, meaning they were, just, they were just like children, and also many animals. And the book ends. Like, that's it. It's just not very good literary style. It's just, can I go home now? I mean, what do I do? I mean, here's what God is saying to Jonah. Jonah, you're, you're concerned about all the wrong stuff. Like, you're a good man. You're, you're a prophet. 
In fact, there's going to be this thing centuries from now called the Bible, and you're going to, you're going to be in it. We're going to have a book just dedicated to you. Okay, you're a good man. You're a law keeper. But the problem is your concerns don't reflect my concerns. Jonah, do you know what I'm concerned about? I'm concerned about this generation of people. What are you concerned about? The gourd. I'm hot. I don't like it here. I didn't even want to come here anyway. Jonah, I'm concerned about this generation of, of Ninevites. What are you concerned about? Me? Like I'm a Jewish man. I'm, I'm far from home. I'm going to have to walk another 550 miles just to get back. I don't want to be here. God says to us, I'm I'm concerned about this generation of people. What and who are you concerned about? Well, high gas prices, inflation, who is or isn't in the White House, I mean, changing homes, the fact that I have to now go to the East Y instead of the Andover Y because of that stupid tornado, and I don't like it, and the people in Kansas don't know that they should stay in the right lane and quit camping in the left lane. They need to get in the intersection when they turn left, and God says, well, I'm, I'm concerned about this generation of people. I'm concerned about the people that camp in the left lane. I'm concerned for the people you work with. I'm concerned about that waiter, that waitress. I'm concerned about the lady in your office that everyone talks about but never talks to. I'm concerned about the parents of the kids on your team, even the loudmouth, obnoxious one. Think about the person you hate the most. I'm concerned about him. I'm concerned about her, too. I'm concerned about your mother-in-law. You are too, but in a different way. I'm concerned about him and her and him and her. I'm concerned about this generation of teenagers. I'm concerned about this generation of children. I'm concerned about single parents. I'm concerned about people who have walked away from the church for good reason. I'm concerned about all those people celebrating all last month with rainbows and parades. You know those people you find so offensive? I'm concerned about all those people. I'm also concerned about all the people on the other side who spent June throwing all kinds of condemnation and name-calling and slurs. Guess what? I'm concerned about them too. I'm concerned about this generation of people. Who are you concerned about? Well, my gourd, my comfort, seeing bad people get what they deserve. Let me ask it a different way. What do you get angry about? Jonah got angry about bad people not getting what they deserved. He got angry about a gourd. What do you get angry about? Now, it'd be really tempting to just drop that and say, like in a really good preacher voice, you know, God is concerned about this generation of people. What are you concerned about with the implication you're not? And just, like, walk off and just attempt to leave you, like, somehow shamed and accused and feeling guilty. But that wouldn't be fair. And I'll tell you why it's not fair. Because if you're in this room or you're listening online, that New Life is a community filled with people who understand this. The reason why we're even in this building or online in this community is because there are many in this room and currently on vacation who get this. The reason the bills get paid, the reason for those of you with children, the reason they get so well taken care of. And we get parents up here talking about how some of the lessons are bleeding out from this classroom into their day-to-day -day life with their kids. The reason we're able to do that, the reason we're able to create connecting opportunities, the reason we're able to uh, do this to serve not just locally but now internationally is because there are people in this community that get this. 
The reason we were able to invest tens of thousands of dollars into the city of Wichita, into our community, through Project Laundry the past five years. The reason truckloads of critically needed supplies have gotten to and are getting to the most desperate in Ukraine. The reason shelters in Poland have sufficient supplies for refugee women and children is because they're a group of people who get this. Part of the reason ICT-SOS is able to help the most vulnerable in preventing and ending sex trafficking and helping victims is because so many of you get this. You understand that God is concerned about this generation people, generation of people, and your concern is not just you. And so you do this really strange thing that has the potential, I'm not exaggerating, to change the world and to change the way the world sees God and sees the church. You do this strange thing where you take your time, your most valuable asset, and you take your skill and stuff that you've learned in school and your talents, and then many of you, you take your financial resources, and you on purpose direct that and invest that and give that towards things that intersect with God's purposes in the world. You've demonstrated what it means to wave the white flag and to surrender to God's purposes in the world, and it has and is making a difference in the lives of adults and children. And people are being drawn to God and drawn to the local church and drawn to Christ, not through theology, not through you explaining and being able to answer all their tough questions. They're being drawn through you because you are concerned about the things that concern God. It's because so many of you have chosen to not commit the sin of Jonah, which unfortunately happens a lot today, and that is the sin of my religion is all about me. I get to die and go to heaven. God protect me and my family and help me and bless me and God, it's all about me. Amen. There are a bunch of you that understand it's not simply about surrendering just to the personal and moral will of God. It's about surrendering to God's purposes in the world. And you, are, you do things that are unusual and extraordinary, and it is making a difference. But in a group this size, in the room and online, it's safe to say not everyone. Some of you, you're pretty good Christian people, and you're grateful. Maybe you even grew up in a church and somewhere, and you're just grateful for that church. You're grateful that somebody gave the money to build that church. You're grateful that somebody paid for the staff. You're grateful that there were mission trips. You're grateful that somebody had the courage to talk to you about Jesus or to sit your mom and dad down and talk to them about Jesus, which allowed for you to grow up in a Christian home. And you're just so very grateful. And at times you feel feelings of compassion. You know, we talk about sex trafficking victims or innocent women and children who have had to flee their homes and leave their men behind. You feel the anger of God, but you don't necessarily do much about it. Or we share about how we, all we want to accomplish and how we need to add more teammates to our teams, to our kids' life team, to impact the next generation, or to tech, or to set up and tear down a host, host team. I mean, you're so grateful for the people who make sure everything is set up, and, and, and that if you're not able to be here in person, you're able to engage in audio and video online, and you're grateful for those that come and create a welcoming environment but you don't personally do something to help. Or on a weekly, monthly basis, when you look at your calendar and your checkbook, your bank account, very little of your time, your talent, your education, your resources intersect in a strategic, meaningful, consistent way in what God is doing in our community or in the lives of people. 
but you're a good person. It could be that just that you've never surrendered to the purposes of God in the world. That you've never said to your Heavenly Father, God, all that I have and all that I am is available to you to impact my city and my world, to impact the people that you put in my world. In any way you see fit, I'm available. So consequently, you end up sidelined. And I'm not trying to be mean or judgmental. It's just more offering a self-reflective question for us all. And it's just to ask yourself, and for me to ask myself, a hard question. If every Christian were just like me, how much influence would the church have in culture and the world? And if the answer is not much, or none, it's time for that to change. So let me ask you some questions. God said to Jonah, why are you so angry? So let me ask you some questions that, again, are not meant to be accusatory. It's just genuinely trying to help us understand what's going on the, on the inside and what may pre- be preventing some things that should be happening on the outside that aren't. To look in the mirror and just ask, why, why am I so apathetic? To ask myself, why am I so busy? I'll ask it specifically, why is it Every time I'm presented with an opportunity to serve or give or an opportunity to intersect with people with what I have who could benefit from my service, why is it nearly every time I talk myself out of it? I listen to a plea for volunteers, for setup, for teardown, for tech, for children, for hosting, for giving. You know, I I listen to something that stirs some compassionate feelings in me, but then I go home and I talk myself out of it. Why do I keep doing that? Why is it that my time, my talent, my resources don't intersect, they don't intersect with the purposes of God in a meaningful, strategic, and consistent way in the world? And if you'd say, Chad, I feel like you're on my case, you just need to know, as I said last week, if you're wrestling with any of this on the inside, you're not wrestling with me. You're wrestling with God and His Spirit trying to prompt you. Because if you identify as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, but you're not engaged, you're not engaged in the body and the work of Jesus, you end up becoming part of the problem, and here's why. Because the culture and the world around us sees Christians as apathetic at best and judgmental at worst. And you and I have an amazing opportunity to be part of the solution. And not necessarily to a specific problem, though maybe, but the opportunity to be front and center in culture, not because we pass a bunch of laws and march in the street, maybe that's part of it, but because of God's grace and God's abounding love as expressed through people, as expressed through you and me, as expressed through the local church, it's almost irresistible in spite of what someone believes. So you and I have been invited to repent of the sin of Jonah, where my religion is all about me and my family and I'm surrendered to the moral will of God, but the truth is, as I look at my calendar, I look at my bank statement, The truth is, it's right there. I haven't really surrendered to the purposes of God in the world. Now, please understand that my goal today was not for us to wrap up in a minute and you to go home and go, man, that that was so good. Or, man, I feel like I, I felt so guilty. I had a good church experience. Like That's not the point. No, the goal is that you would do something with this information. And do you know what I want you to do? I don't know what I want you to do. I just know... I want you to do something. If you're feeling inside, there's something I need to do. And what I want you to know is if you're a Christian and your whole goal is to be a good person and to be kind occasionally and give some money occasionally, but 
but never strategically and weekly be invested in what God is doing in our culture. I just need to present the question, how is that any better than Jonah? So I want to invite the band up, and they're going to do a song. And I recognize uh, in the music world, this song would be considered old because it was 12 years ago this song came out. So in the music world, that's like dog years. So. But there's, there's some lines in, in the, that it starts out with. And it's, everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Do you know how people experience God's love and compassion? It's not through some intangible feeling or some angel show, is going to show up on the end of the bed. It's through you, and it's through me. The song goes on, let mercy fall on me. Everyone, everyone needs forgiveness. Your boss needs to experience the forgiveness of God. And some of you know that. But the question is, how is he or how is she going to do that? The lady at work, she's very difficult. Everybody's intimidated by her. In some ways, they may be jealous of her. But she needs forgiveness. Everyone needs forgiveness. But how in the world are they going to experience it? Do you think God's just going to wake them up one night and get them by the shoulders and shake them and say, listen, I'm God, you're not, you got a problem, I want to forgive you, and if you'll just turn to me. No, that's not going to happen. It has to be you. It has to be me. It's going to be someone who's decided it's not enough to just be a good Christian. I'm going to be involved in God's purposes in my world, in my community, and in the lives of the people around me that he's put around me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. So God, take me as you find me, all fears and failures. God, I don't know what to say. I know I'm not going to get it right. I'm not very good at this. What if they ask me a hard question? I've never done this before. All my fears and failure. Fill my life again. I give my life to follow, not simply obey. Everything I believe in, now I surrender. I surrender. So no matter how well I may or may not know you, as a pastor, as your pastor, if you view me that way, I've just got to say this. I feel like we have extraordinary potential in Wichita and beyond, but listen, our greatest potential is not me, it's not a speaker, it's not a sermon. Our greatest potential is a group of followers, of Christians who understand, yeah, we've got to live good moral lives, but there's so much more than that. We have to live lives in our community and in this city, in this town, in the world in such a way that the love and the compassion and the grace of God becomes almost irresistible because they see it and then they experience it through us. And the only way for that to happen is for all of us to engage with our Heavenly Father in what He wants to do in our little world and the greater world. And if we do, your Heavenly Father and mine will do what He did for the city of Nineveh. And your Heavenly Father may do for your community and your workplace and where you live and in the world and in your office what he did for Nineveh. He will forgive. He will reveal himself. And your, your part of the world will be different because of you, because of us, because we engaged in God's purposes in the world. Let me pray. Father, uh, God, this lands in different places for all of us. For some of us, honestly, we struggle feeling like we can never do enough. Problems seem so big and so vast. And, and yet we press. And for some, it can be discouraged and debilitating and feeling like, what, what can my little contribution 
What difference can it make? And so, Father, I pray for every single one of us, wherever this lands, that, God, that you would speak to us, that you would prompt us, that you would guide us. And, God, what a blessing it is when you will actually go so far as to help us to see the difference, what we do or what we give, what we give of our time, how it makes a difference. So I pray for all of us that this week and the coming weeks that you'll give us the opportunity to see that, to just reinforce that it doesn't matter what we're doing, that it matters if we're doing it for you to engage your purposes. Father, we need your encouragement. We need the strength of your spirit. We need your wisdom and discernment, especially in a world that is just so hostile and divided what somebody believes or opinion but God that you would hold us steady and that you would use us in a way that truly matters in the lives of others so someday when they tell their story the story of good things of life change that we will be named in that story because of what you did through us because we were willing to open ourselves up to that and take the risk Father I, I pray all of this in the name of Jesus Amen